UCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hi there, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Very excited about today's show. I'm actually always excited. I have great guests. And um, if you do want to find out about being a guest, just very simple. Just send me an email. It's Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E at KUCI.org. I met my first guest at the Natural Products Expo West that I attended a few weeks ago. Unbelievable event. Huge natural organic product expo. Uh, Very, very enlightening about what goes on in our industry. And I had a chance to go to a women's networking event. And my guest, Rachel Hofstetter, is a former food editor at O Magazine and author of Cooking Up a Business, which I had the book right here. It's a great read. And she's joining me to talk about her entrepreneurial spirit, PR school, and more. It's my pleasure to welcome this week's show, Rachel Hofstetter. Good morning, Rachel. Hello, good morning. Good morning. You are full of energy. I love it. <laughs> well, I'm on Mountain Time, so I've got an hour on you, oh, too. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. You've had more coffee than I have. Exactly. <laughs> I loved your talk at the uh, networking event I attended. And before we get into that, tell me about how you became an editor at O Magazine. All right. You're going to get the long story straight <laughs> off the bat. It's like anything. I think you take take an idea and you try something and you chisel your way into it. Chisel is a term I like to use a lot in that you start one place and you just take it step by step by step by step. And in New York City, you'll be driving down the street in a taxi and all the lanes will be clogged with taxis and cars and trucks. And your taxi driver all of a sudden will need to be in another lane. And first, it'll put, you know, one wheel over, two wheels over. You'll never even think it could get into the next lane. Nobody's going to let him. Nobody's going to open up. And yet, you just kind of start chiseling. Mm -hmm. And that's where that whole concept came to me. And that's how I would say I chiseled my way into Oh, the Oprah Magazine was one teeny little step at a time. But I was an economics major in college and loved econ, but then had this whole moment of, I don't actually want to go to law school. I'm Ah. obsessed with magazines and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so that was really where I started and ended up interning at a magazine called Cosmo Girl. Uh, oh, yeah. left college, finished my last semester in New York City at night while I interned all day during the day, and then ended up working in a magazine called Cosmo Girl, yes. uh, starting their food coverage there, and then eventually going to Oh the Oprah magazine. But it's like anything. I started with no connections, no experience. I think I'd written two newspa- you know, two articles in my school newspaper Look at that. and just went in with a lot of enthusiasm and then built it step by step, chisel by chisel. Love it. How did you choose food editing? It was great advice I got when I worked at my first magazine, and one of my mentors, whose name is Chandler Turner, said, anybody can be a good writer. The best writers and the best editors have 
you know, two or three things they're really passionate about, and they bring that passion to it. They know everything that's going on in that space. And so she said, pick those passions and run with it. Because that's what makes you more unique, gives you more things to say, Mm -hmm. and eventually it means that you're just the perfect candidate for the job because you know this topic inside and out. And so I picked two areas to focus on, and food ended up being one of those and was the one that I followed for a very long time. That's perfect. Do you do a lot of cooking at home? I don't know if you have that much time. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. I do. And so when I was at Oprah, I actually went to the French Culinary Institute on the weekend, which is a culinary institute in New York City. And it's funny because once you get trained professionally, A, you have two types of cooking. You have home cooking and you have professional cooking. Mm -hmm. And I found that what I love to do is home cooking. I like things fast and easy and delicious and I am not afraid to use any sort of hack in the world. For That's example, good. I love frozen vegetables. Mm-hmm. Probably use them every single day. Uh, but yeah, so I do do a lot of That's cooking. Good. And when I was a food editor, it was a way of both trying new and up-and-coming trends. I was probably cooking every night, but it was also half work. And so yes. now it's fun for me that cooking is actually purely just fun again. That's good. I find it's very cathartic. I like creating and... I have kids, too, and I, you know, I don't care about making a mess. I don't love the cleaning up part, but, <laughs> but you know, it's all part of the process of, you know, just taking over your kitchen, and, it, yes, it becomes totally, you know, crazy and everything, but it's just part of the process. Well, I agree, and I think also people sometimes get intimidated, you know, what if I mess up? But right. there is no mess up. Like, literally, right. the worst thing you can do is make something that tastes bad, right. and then you throw it away. And usually you can save it or something, and let's assume it's not a super expensive cut of meat or anything, then it's okay. And so I I try all sorts of stuff, and some of it's weird, but thank goodness my husband will eat almost (laughs) anything. Here you go, honey. I don't like it, but you can have it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Now, I have this great book that you you gave out at um, at the lecture. Tell me, tell our listeners a little bit about this talk you gave, because it was very inspiring. Well, maybe, maybe I'll talk about the book first, and okay. then go into that. That's fine. Just so you do, you know, say, so the book that I wrote is called Cooking Up a Business, and it started when I was at Oprah Magazine as a food editor. One of the things I would do is look for new and up-and-coming food entrepreneurs, and more I was looking for their product. My goal and my job was to you know everything new in the food world. You know, if all of a sudden everybody's talking about cheetah seeds, for example, mm-hmm. my job was to know that six months earlier. And so a lot of that meant on the ground, talking to people, market research, what's your new product, what's the new ingredient in your new product. And along the way, I started to get really into the food entrepreneurs themselves because their products were delicious, but their stories were really interesting and exciting and they had so much passion and drive and hustle for it. And they really believed in what they were doing. And so I wrote a story at Oprah that featured uh, six food entrepreneurs and kind of how they did it, their moment where everything was going so poorly and then mm-hmm. one thing changed and their secret to success and really how they went from baking at their kitchen table to a multi-million dollar business. I love and it. it was just one of the articles I wrote that was a hit, a huge hit. I had not expected it. And so that actually turned into a book deal with Penguin, which turned into cooking up a business. And so that's why when we met, we were at an event all full of food entrepreneurs. It was called Expo West. And so anybody who's in a natural food space 
comes there for a week every year to learn what's new, show up their products, talk to grocery store buyers, and things like that. And so that's where this all came in. Uh, but what I actually talked about at the event was something I call Give, Give, Get. And it. it's a way of getting the word out about your brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go oh, ahead, because I thought dive that, into was, that. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And I tell you, because it was applied to a lot of different things. So go ahead. Yeah, so give, give, get. It's really a mindset strategy. And I now run something called PR School, where we help entrepreneurs get the word out about their brand. And it's taught directly by top editors. And so instead of saying, hey, here's how we think it should work, the editors say, here's how I actually, you know, here's how it should actually work. And Mm -hmm. here's what you actually do. And so give, give, get ends up being the very first thing we teach at PR School. And it's the number one thing you need to know, but it's also, it overcompasses a lot of things. And so it's for PR, but it's also for sales. It's also for building relationships in general. Yes. And so I'll decode it for you. So the first give is give good story. And I say that first because it is the number one thing that any content producer, whether it's a blogger, whether it's a radio host, whether mm-hmm. it's a magazine, TV show, producer, anything needs is good story. Yes. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is what is a good story? And, or it's like, oh, good story is here I am, ta-da, here's my project, ta-da, mm-hmm. where really a good story goes a level deeper. And it's not always just about you or your product. It'll look at a larger conversation. And maybe it's, hey, here's this new ingredient we're using that everybody's using, or here's how this is contributing to a health solution, or here's something that, you know, people want to know. Here's the tips and advice that people want to know. And it might not even directly include our product. It could be useful with or without our product. Right. And so it's really just giving value, giving story, whatever way that is, and not starting from the place of, here's my product, please feature it. May I inter- yeah. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, go first. And here's what was interesting when I was hearing you say this. If you give a good story, people are not going to forget that story. Yes. And I think it's one of the things that stories are sticky mm-hmm. and people are desperate for good stories, whether it actually is somebody who tells stories for a living, like an editor, or it's just somebody who's listening to you at a speech, at, yes. you know, talking at, demoing your products or reading your webpage. Stories are the most sticky thing. We remember stories. We don't remember facts and figures and things like that. We remember stories. And so anywhere in your whole life, you can use stories. I think it's only for the best. Yes, yes. So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) So the second give is give to a friend. And when I first say that, it sounds a little strange because it's like, hey, these people I'm reaching out to, I don't know them. You know, I don't know the editor, and maybe I don't know the sales prospect or something. But by give to a friend, I mean make it personal. And so when I was an editor at Oprah, I probably got 300 email pitches a day. Whoa. You would be so shocked to know that maybe 97% of those didn't even include my name. (laughs) And 97% of those were mass emails, even if they were pretending to not be mass emails. And so it makes such a difference when somebody says, hi, Rachel, you know, loved your story on GMOs last week, really changed how I thought about it. I have something I think your audience might enjoy. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, that's how you would approach a friend. Yes. You wouldn't spam a thousand of your friends at once, right? That's right. And so just approaching it from that and saying, hey, how can I be helpful? But how can I keep this 
real. And so it's personalizing it. It's saying something you liked about what they did. It's letting them know that this is not a mass email. You care about what they think and do individually. And, of course, under that, there's a lot of give of, you know, for example, if you have a product, you're giving a lot of samples. Make it easy for them. Give them the photos and the things they need quickly and easily. And that just makes you stand out. It makes you somebody that people love to work with. And, again, that gives kind of goes across all things even beyond PR. Because if you're treating any sales process like that, right, you want to give quickly and personally and make it feel like you are there for them. Absolutely. And so the great thing is if you start practicing those two gives, give good story and give to a friend, all of a sudden you start to get all these things. See, there's the get. This Mm -hmm. is the fun part. (laughs) And so... In the PR sense, you get coverage, you get that story, no matter how big or small it is. But you get two more things that I think are actually even more important. And the first is that you get the beginnings of a long-term relationship. Because anybody that you're giving with, you know, the first get is not the end. It's just the beginning. And maybe they call on you for another quote or reach out later when they're at another publication. It's just the beginning of something that they will keep reaching out. Absolutely. But then this is the most important one, and that is that you get brand positioning. And I like to say that you can share any coverage you get in your newsletter, online, anywhere it goes. It's on your website. But now all of a sudden you are affiliating yourself with this media brand. And you don't have to say how big or small the story was, to be honest. You're just affiliated for anything. And so that's the whole mindset of give, give, get is that, you give and you give, and then you get, and you also want to capitalize on your get. It's not just that it comes in. You then take it and essentially put it back out there into the world. Well, and it, when I was listening to you talk about this, I thought this can be applied to so many things. Exactly. I feel like I use the mindset with sales especially. Mm-hmm. So it, with sales too, and also just building relationships. You, you, I think a lot of times it's natural to go into any situation with, what can I get out of this? But if instead you go in with, what can I give to this? And you're not worried about the get. Like, notice the get doesn't come until the end. And first you give and give. Then it can make anything, whether you're planning a community event or, you know, going to class or going to your job every day. If you approach it from, what can I give? I do believe the get comes. And it's interesting about sales, too, and this whole strategy is that sometimes you know, if you if you speak less, but you what you have to say is has an impact. It it holds a lot more weight, obviously, because you know, in sales is very tough. So everybody wants to sell their product and push their product, but if you tell a story, and it's relevant and it has meaning, mm-hmm. it goes so much farther than a whole long sales pitch about it. Oh, I agree absolutely. It's worth the time creating that story and living that story and embodying it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something even when you're going out is like making sure that you embody that story top to bottom and that your team embodies that story, whether it's your own personal brand story or a company story. is Now everybody is a brand and everybody's embodying their own story. Exactly. And what's interesting is I approached several people to come on my show that I met at this event. You were one of them. And when I would say, you know, I host the show, Get the Funk Out, the first reaction is laughter. Because people are like, what? Your your show is called what? And then I describe the show, and who hasn't been in a funk? Oh, absolutely. 
You know? It's part of life. Do you have a story that you'd like to share or advice for dealing with a funk, career funk or otherwise, switching directions? Yeah, I have something I'd love to share, which is that I think a lot of times we think big sweeping change, you know, I'm over here and I'm going to jump way over there. I'm going to jump to where the grass is greener or, you know, a very common example is I'm going to funk in my job. I need to quit my job and do something different. Or I'm going to quit my job and start a company. Or I'm going to do It's very absolute. And I think that fear, that idea that to get out of a funk, you have to do something dramatically different, holds people back from doing anything at all. And so one of the biggest things I've seen is that you can start with a side gig. Anything can start small on the side. Uh, For example, most of the entrepreneurs who I featured in my book, Cooking Up a Business, literally started their company on the side while they were doing something else. And it was just, hey, here's something I believe in. Let me do this while I do X, Y, Z. One woman, Quinn Popcorn, even started her company while she was on maternity leave. But it's taking low-risk steps to see, hey, is this something I want to do? Another example, uh, Mary Waldner, who's the founder of Mary's Gone Crackers, Mm -hmm. worked at her job for at least three years while building Mary's Gone Crackers on the side. And that gave her security. It let her see what it was going to be. But, you know, you never know where it's going to go. And in my own personal life, I think actually writing the book for me was that cathartic side project that I didn't know. You know, I loved working in magazines, but there was also so much more out there. And so I wrote the book on the side, um, get up at 5 a.m. and write it while I was working full-time during the day. And it ended up opening so many more doors for me. But, it, you know, people say, oh, you took such a leap from being a magazine editor to being an entrepreneur. But actually, I didn't. I had a whole side project that was a bridge for quite a while. And so I think looking around and saying, it doesn't have to be dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's just something you want to try. Yes. Uh, for example, right now, I'm teaching a fitness class just oh. because I've always wanted to try it. And I don't think it's going to lead into something else per se. I'm not planning on it, but I love doing it. And why not go out and try it? And I think finding a small thing you can try is often one of the best ways to just move on out of the funk and see where the future can take you. Yes. And I love it because it is low risk. You're not completely throwing away one thing for another thing. You're, You're kind of dabbling in it. Yeah. And it's easier to get started that way. It's just one step as opposed to a giant leap. Yes. So tell me about Guesterly. So Guesterly is actually the company I took the leap, although I just said it wasn't a leap. It's a small <laughs> bridge uh, into entrepreneurship for. And I was a magazine editor, was not planning on being an entrepreneur at all. Wrote the book on you know, entrepreneurs, but when I started writing my book, I was really still into the food side of it. I thought that was what I was really focusing on and what I cared about. And by the time I finished writing the book, I was like, wow, I really care about the business side of this. Mm -hmm. No idea. Completely discovered it as I went through the writing process. And so kind of on the same time, same tandem, I got married. And my husband and I had people coming from all across the country. They didn't know each other. Our families had barely met. We're from opposite sides of the country originally. And we really wanted everybody to connect and get along and actually get to know each other. They were going to be there for three days. And so we did something that was, in my mind, so simple. We basically made a little who's who book book. And we pulled the pictures of each person. I used my writing skills and wrote this little blurb about everybody. 
and we printed those off. Actually, I had to buy a printer and haul it up five, five floors in my New York City walk-up apartment. Uh. And then we just <laughs> mailed those out a week before our wedding. And I wasn't huge into, like, the pretty details, but I wanted to make sure that my wedding felt really fun and welcoming and that everybody yeah. felt like they were a vital part of being there. And so we were hoping that's what these little books we made would do. And to be honest, they just took off. People loved it. They said it changed the whole atmosphere of the wedding. I love it. And it's such a simple idea, right? Mm-hmm. But it's based off a of college Facebook. But it's just sometimes having an extra little thing helps you talk to people more easily. You can remember their names. You have conversation starters. You know, you can say, hey, like, look at this. Where are you in this thing? Nice. We had people going around and, like, playing it like bingo almost. Like, could they meet everybody? <laughs> but it just got people loosened up and really enjoying each other's company, which I love because I love connecting people. I think it's great. And within, you know, weeks, our friends were like, hey, you know, can we, can you do that thing for us? How do we do it? And we started doing it for friends' weddings. And let's see, about two years ago now, mm-hmm. we got our first call from somebody we didn't know. And he says, hey, I heard about this thing you do. I, I want to buy it. Where do I buy it? Oh. And I was literally about to say, oh, we don't sell it. Uh, and then I was like, let's talk. You know, maybe we do sell these. Exactly. And that's what's so fun about it is you put something out there into the world. It was literally an idea, and then we did it as wedding presents, and then somebody said, hey, I want to buy it. And you go, wow, I hadn't thought of selling it. Right. And so Guestrally is now a software platform where anybody can create these types of who's who's guides for events really quickly and easily and you know, been lots of ups and downs to get to where we are today, but now we do them for corporate events, for reunions, for weddings, anywhere where you want people to really connect and get to know each other quickly and easily. That is a great idea. Well, thank you. It's fun because it gets people connecting and it just, I love that. It increases the impact and, you know, for example, I, I feel like I'm an introvert extrovert and if I have just a little bit more of a nudge to talk to someone at an event. It's fantastic. It helps so much. Or My husband is horrible at names, and so he feels like, oh, if I can't remember their name, I don't know if I should go up to them again. And <laughs> so he loves having his guest really at an event because he'll like, go into the bathroom and be like, oh, that was their name. Okay, yeah. I can go talk to them. Wait a minute. But I think there's I, a lot of that. I find it, excuse me, I find it hard to believe. You're, you think you're an introvert? I think I run introverted, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I never I'm an introvert, that. extrovert. So, but yeah, that whole idea of how you'll be charged. Yes, I'm very introverted. No, I, I, I can relate to that. You know, I went to the event and I sat with um, people I didn't know. It's hard to just so say, say to yourself, "I'm just going to do this." I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. put yourself down there, and I don't and know so, anybody. And yeah, talk and I think it's the hardest thing to be honest. And so, it is. I hope what we do is just a tool to make that a little bit easier. It's funny, you should maybe start doing that at some of the events, I mean, the, the event you spoke at, because I could see the hesitation with people to even sit down at a table though they didn't know one person. I agree, <laughs> and one of my biggest strategies that I've taken on is that once you realize that everybody is just as hesitant, mm-hmm. and that you can help them, you can give to them by being that person that starts the conversation, I think it helps lose the fear about it too, when you realize they are just as desperate for somebody to talk to yes. as you are, and you can be the hero and go in and say, hey, you know, what's XYZ, or what do you think about this? That's a mindset I try to take going in there, because otherwise, I agree, so easy to just be like, okay, nobody wants to talk to me, so I'll just sit here. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. I actually ran into somebody that I had met at a lecture. I went to um, 
a wonderful lecture with Dr. David Perlmutter, who's going to hopefully come on my show. I had connected with him. And uh, I walked right up to her because I thought, you know, I, I thought she was really nice. I walked up to her and she said, oh, it's great to see you again. And we reconnected and spent the rest of the night talking. I love that. Yeah and, yeah. and and that's what it takes because sometimes people are too shy or, you know, you just got to put yourself out there. You never know who you're going to meet. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because it's one of my life philosophies. And it's also that you never know what value somebody is going to bring into your life. And it might not be readily apparent. It might not be, you know, right there in black and white. But it's if you go into every conversation that yes. there's something of value. For example, I get asked for coffee a lot. And my personal philosophy is to always say yes because, A, I've been helped by a lot of people in my life, Mm -hmm. but also everybody has something of value to offer, and there's no reason to close that out and not see what it is. Right. And as a fellow introvert, I have to share that um, there are times I don't feel like going to events. I get invited to different things, and the funniest thing is, I tell my daughters this, it's the times when I really, really don't want to go and I have to drag my butt out and go. I have the best time ever. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So that's my And I think that's something we all just have to keep knowing is that there is, there's a purpose out there. Um, When I was an editor at Oprah, I could have gone to 17 events a night. Mm -hmm. And it's knowing what you can handle, what you're loaded. So for me, for example... I would only do three weeknights of events, which meant that I always had at least two weeknights to not be at events. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did that is that I could be fully on at the events I was going to. And, you know, I hate to cancel, for example. So once I said I was going somewhere, I was, I was there. I was in. There was no last minute, like, oh, I really just want to go home and watch Netflix or something. Yes. And so, but it was <laughs> moderating it from the beginning as well. And I think that helps. Like, I go to this now, then I'm not going to anything tomorrow. Right. But another philosophy I love, and this comes from my friend Angela Gia Kim, who's my co-founder in PR school, it's this idea of send out ships. You know, every day, pick that you're going to send out one ship or two ships. and Maybe that ship is going to an event, or maybe it's sending an email out to somebody that you want to connect with, mm-hmm. or somebody for a partnership, or somebody you want to have coffee with, or do a project with. And it's the idea that, you know, some of your ships will never come back with anything, but some will come back with gold, untold gold. And so it's also just saying, I'm going to put X amount of ships out there into the world this week, and let's see what gold they bring back. Great analogy. I love it. We have to wrap up, unfortunately, but can you throw out your website or if people want to find out more information about you, Rachel? Yeah. Uh, so the book is Cooking Up a Business, and it's on Amazon, really easy to find. Mm-hmm. I think it's $10 now or something, which is fantastic. And for, I guess, Gusterly would be the best place to go. So that's G-U-E-S-T-E-R-L-Y.com. Perfect. And PR School, you can, yeah, it's on the bio, on the site here. So. Okay. Yeah, I put everything up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And if you've missed any part of today's conversation with Rachel, it will be up on my blog within an hour after we wrap. Thank you so much. This was lovely. Oh, I really, you know, I enjoyed your talk so much, and I'm glad I could just run up to you and connect with you and get you to call in. So thank you. It was perfect. Have a good one. Bye. Uh, Bye-bye. That was Rachel Hofstetter calling in to talk about her entrepreneurial spirit. Very inspiring. She was a food editor at O Magazine, and she has this awesome book, Cooking Up a Business, and she's the founder of Guesterly, which creates Who's Who Guide to Events, 
and PR school. And if you missed any part of the show, again, it'll be up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. Going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with Nancy Appleton, who actually has written numerous books about sugar. I mean, who doesn't have a love affair with sugar? I know I do. And it's a crazy addiction, and it does impact our health. So I'm looking forward to having her on. She's going to join us in just a few minutes. We'll be back in just a bit. 